This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Great to have you with us again. Well, there's probably no book in all of Scripture that intimidates us more than the book of Revelation. And yet the final book in the New Testament is full of prophecy and practical truths that can be understood. Sometimes it just takes a creative approach to break through all the confusion. And that is exactly what my next guest has done. Todd Hampson is an author and illustrator and founder of the award-winning animation company Timbuktoons. And he is out with a new book called The Nonprofit's Guide to the Book of Revelation. Todd, great to have you with us. How are you? I'm doing great. It's an honor to be on here with you. Well, it's an honor for me to have you here. This is a little bit daunting, isn't it, to try to make <laughs> Revelation accessible? That's that's quite a, a chore that you're doing here. It really is, and, and it, a lot of it comes from just my love for Bible prophecy and my love for you know the, the times where that we're in. Obviously, where God's given us all kinds of signs that His return is soon. So I wanted to make it accessible to anybody. Uh, and I'm a visual learner myself, and I'm an artist background, so I, I wanted to plug as much of that in as possible just to kind of disarm it and make it accessible to people. Oh, yeah, it's great. And I know I can't do this over the radio, but you've got some great illustrations and charts, and it's very visually appealing as well as full of really good information. Talk a little bit, if you would, Todd, about your concerns really regarding people being intimidated by the book of Revelation or maybe neglecting it because they feel they can't really figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. It, it definitely is a, a complex book, and it takes a little bit of elbow grease to to figure some of it out. But I do also believe that the enemy has done a tremendous job in just making people think it's either it's irrelevant or inaccessible or too scary or too hard for us to figure out. Yeah. But it's the crescendo of Scripture. It, 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 not not studying the book of Revelation be like going to the movies and, and leaving before the ending. You know, yeah, the right. Best part. <laughs> That's right. Well, and, and you point out something really significant, and that is the bookends of the Bible clearly are Genesis and Revelation. But you've also got books like Daniel, which are very significant when we are pointing forward to the prophecy that is in Revelation. Can you talk a little bit about that thread that connects throughout the whole Bible regarding prophecy? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as a matter of fact, before this book, I had a book called uh, The Nonprofit's Guide to the End Times, which is basically a an overview of Bible prophecy. And in that book, I have a whole chapter on the book of Daniel, and, and I talk about how, and I talk about it a little bit in this book, uh, about how Daniel is kind of the framework that Revelation sets in. It's kind of the, the revelation of the Old Testament, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and, and really, Revelation is a Jewish book. You really can't, under, one of the reasons people are so confused by it is because they've never studied the Old Testament. All the allusions, all the symbolism ties immediately back to the Old Testament. That is a really good point. Can you talk a little bit more about that and kind of explain to people the fact that Revelation is a Jewish book? What sorts of things do you encounter in the book of Revelation that you can really understand more clearly if you understand the Jewishness of, the, of you know, these references? 
Yeah, it's it's really important because uh, a lot of times the the symbolism is given to you in the context, like in chapter one of Revelation, when there, you see the lampstands. Jesus actually says the lampstands are the churches, so they yeah. represent the church. But in the four hundred four, uh, I'm I'm sorry, in the yeah, in the four hundred four verses of Revelation, there's over eight hundred direct allusions to the Old Testament. So, really, honestly, what I tell people is. If you see a symbol or a word in Revelation, Revelation that trips you up, just look it up in the Old Testament, find its first use and some of its primary uses, and, and you'll immediately find your answer right there. That's great. You point out that Revelation 1-3 has this promise that is unlike any other promise in Scripture. I'm going to read it. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. What do you make of that promise? What do you make of that statement and the really the the power of that statement that we read right at the beginning of the book. Yeah, and I don't think that's a, a coincidence that Jesus put that there, and, it, and it's Jesus saying that, um, that, you know, it, it's it's the only promise in the Bible, as far as I know, that, that ha- I mean, the only book in the Bible that has a promise like that. Um, and again, it's no coincidence that it's the same book that the enemy is, is really doing his level best to get people's eyes off of. Yeah, that's right. What should people understand going into the book of Revelation? If you have new Christians who are listening who say, or even older Christians who are you know ashamed to say, I've never really read the book of Revelation. It seems too intimidating with the beasts and the seas and all the imagery. <laughs> but how would you characterize what the book of Revelation is supposed to be all about when you, especially when we look at Revelation 1, 3 and its reference to prophecy? Yeah, I think at its core, for one thing, it is future prophecy. I mean, that's the way I interpret it. It's the only way you can consistently interpret the entire Bible from cover to cover is that it's a literal interpretation. It means what it says. You know, so in Revelation, yes, there's symbolism. But when he's talking about the events that are going to take place and, and the characters that are going to come on the scene, these are literal things. They're not metaphorical. They're, they're very literal and uh, can be understood much easier that way and, and much more biblically because if we symbolize things or allegorize them, um, we, we put our own meaning into it and it kind of loses its meaning. And, and I think that's why it becomes irrelevant because – if it can mean anything to anybody, then it's kind of lost its meaning. <laughs> yeah, you're you're totally right about that. And I remember having somebody say to me years ago, when we have the prophecies in the Old Testament, they're all fulfilled in the New Testament. But the reason we know that is because we can go back to the prophecies and they're exact, you know, mm-hmm. foreseeing that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem or that he'd enter Jerusalem on a donkey, you know, all these different references to prophecies in the Old Testament. So, what would you say are the most significant prophecies that we should pay attention to in the book of Revelation? Um, you know, since it is future, I think um, what we're seeing is a lot of stage setting for the, those future events. Now, um, one thing that really got my attention, and, and this does take a bit of work, but the seven letters to the seven churches, a lot of times people just breeze over those because they want to get to the action scenes and all the destruction. <laughs> right. But really, those are the most um relevant to us today in the church age. Um, and also, if you study those carefully, and this really blew my mind, and at, at first I was skeptical till I studied it for myself, is the seven church churches listed, are they were literal churches, but they also, the descriptions line up with seven distinct periods of church history, and we are in that last period of church history. So, the prophecies we're looking for, in my opinion, and, and I have friends that are mid-trib or post-trib, but I, I happen to be 
a pre-trib. You know, I believe that the, the tribulation happens prior to all these events. Right. Um, but we're seeing the stage being set for all these things now, whether it's, you know, one world economy or the technology that's spoken about in the book of Revelation or the, condi- the you know, societal and religious con- um, convic- condic- conditions, all of that stuff we're seeing in our day ramp up like no other time in history. Yeah. So you would believe then that these seven churches of Asia Minor that Jesus is dictating letters to, some are rebuked, some are commended. There's, you know, some mixes there. Some are both, both rebuked mm-hmm. and commended. But w- the, there's a prophetic significance then you're saying. These were literal churches that had these literal rebukes and commendations, but there's also a a forward-looking element. So where are we, would you say, when you look at those letters and you look at those churches? What what is the correlation between that period of time that we're in now? Yeah, for brevity's sake, I won't go through all seven, but just the last two, the, the Church of Philadelphia and then Church of Laodicea. Philadelphia, if you look at the symbolism and the name meaning and even the commendations, it was the the missionary evangelical on fire church that was spreading the gospel everywhere. And the Laodicean church is the end times church, which I believe we're in now, where that there's still elements, there's still a remnant of Philadelphia type churches, you know, so it's not an all encompassing thing. But the overall trajectory of where we are now in church history is really the lukewarm church, the church that uh, the, the, the term Laodicea means the laity rule or the laity kind of dictate what the church is preaching about. <laughs> and yeah. we see that a lot yeah. rather than being transformative. A lot of times now churches are, are afraid to offend people and, and this kind of thing. And it's and there's a great falling away. There's there's a lot of error in the church in our day as well. Yeah, I noticed that myself. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So what is the Lord's warning to us if we're to look at his rebuke to the church of Laodicea? We've left, left our first love, basically telling us, come back to the Lord, return to our first love and and have that warm heart toward the Lord that we once did. Yeah, and what's really interesting, if you look at, again, there's a progression through all seven, but just taking the, the Philadelphia church and the Laodicean church, Jesus said to the Philadelphia church, you know, if, if you do these things, I'll return. And But then in the Laodicean church, he says, I stand at the door and knock. And, yeah. and obviously that means he, he's will, salvation is still available. He stands at our, our the heart of the door of our heart knocking, trying to get in. He stands at the door of churches trying to get in for people who are willing to receive him. But also, I believe that progression is prophetic in well, the sense that he's hang on second. ready to come. I love it. Todd, we'll pick it up on the other side of the break. Todd Hampson with me. We'll return right after this on Janet Mafford Today. Hi, this is Janet Mefford. Did you miss the deadline to sign up for a healthcare program at the end of 2020? If so, I have good news. A special enrollment period is taking place now through August 15th, meaning that if you're looking to enroll in a new healthcare program for 2021, you can do so without the need for a qualifying event. More than 200,000 Americans trust Liberty HealthShare for their healthcare needs. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that offers affordable healthcare sharing programs starting as low as $199 per month. Liberty HealthShare gives you the ability to choose any doctor or hospital across the nation. Memberships are for individuals, couples, and families offering a variety of options to best suit your medical needs. Discover more about the power of sharing at libertyhealthshare.org JMT today. For more information, call 855-585-4237, 855-585-4237, or libertyhealthshare.org JMT.
This is Janet Mefford. On a 100-degree day in Ethiopia, Africa, hundreds gathered for Sunday worship outdoors, and some walked an hour to be there. Afterward, 30-year-old Cademan frantically copied scriptures from an old Bible to a piece of paper. Then his face turned sad as he closed the Bible and handed it back to its owner, one of only a few in that church of hundreds to have a Bible. You see, Cademan loves the Lord, leads his family, and is faithful at Sunday worship, but he's never read a single verse in his own Bible because Bibles are very difficult to obtain where he lives. Whoever comes our way and is able to give us a Bible, it will be a great blessing. Through the ministry of Bible League International, you can send God's Word to a new believer in Africa. $5 sends one Bible. $50 sends 10. Call 800-YES-WORD. 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 Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. Thank you. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. What an important book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. It can be intimidating, but this is prophecy. We need to know the book of Revelation. We need to read it and study it. And we can learn what the Lord is trying to tell us as we go through it. And there's a great resource to help you do that. It's called the Nonprofit's Guide to the Book of Revelation, Bible Prophecy for Everyone by Todd Hampson, our guest. Todd, when you were talking about the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, you were also saying there was a prophetic significance uh, to the Lord's words because we are in the end time. Now, when you get to Revelation chapter four, we read of the church in heaven and you talk about the connection now with the rapture. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven and the first voice, which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. And immediately I was in the spirit. John says, and behold, a throne was standing in heaven and one standing on the throne. How do you see Revelation four is connecting back to some of the previous passages regarding the rapture of the church? That's a fantastic question. And if we do look at those seven letters to the seven churches in its prophetic context, it's, it's church history leading up to the 70th week of Daniel 9, which we won't have t- time to unpack all of that. But in the book of Daniel, it talks about 70 weeks of years and there, of Jewish history, and the last seven years are yet future, and that, that lines up with the seven-year tribulation period. I personally believe the opening verses of chapter 4, Revelation, is definitely the rapture. Yeah. The symbolism's there, you know, the open door, he's called up to heaven. And then also there's things that support that, like the lampstands that, that Jesus said were the churches that were seen on earth, now from that point forward and, and have, are in heaven's throne room. And also, you, they use the word church several times in the chapters preceding chapter 4, but after that, the, the, the term church is never used in the book of Revelation, and the focus shifts to winning the Jewish people back to the Lord and also just judging the world for its, its rebellion. Yeah, and that's a really significant point. I don't know how long I went without recognizing what you just said, but yeah, it wasn't too long ago that I said, you know, that's really true. I hadn't thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the church, there is, the, the church is mentioned to a limit, and then it's all about you know, the Jewish people coming back and, and mm-hmm. God's plan for Israel, which is really significant. What about, as you mentioned in the book, the connection with Satan's, you call it Satan's three-part fall and creation's three-part redemption. Can you explain that? Yeah, so Satan's three-part fall, obviously, when he rebelled initially, he was kind of, he lost his um, citizenship to heaven, so to speak. But when you read the Old Testament, particularly the book of Job, you see where he still had access to heaven's throne room. It's almost like a, 
a weird spiritual legal configuration, like, <laughs> all right, he's kicked out, but he can still come to these meetings, you know? <laughs> and then, um, but then we find later in, uh, at the midpoint of the tribulation period, he's literally, and now he's called the prince of the power of the air. So he has freedom to roam. And this is kind of his domain right now. We're living in a, in a foreign land, so to speak. But in the midpoint of the tribulation, he's literally cast down to earth. Um, and that's when, you know, if the first half of the tribulation is bad, the second half is 10 times as bad right. because he, he, the Bible even says he, he knows his time is short and is just full of wrath. Yeah, that's right. And then his third and final part is eventually after the millennial kingdom, he is finally cast into the lake of fire where he'll, he'll, he'll be punished eternally. Right. So when we're looking at all that transpires, you think for the, for example, of the trumpet judgments and all of the chapters in Revelation that deal with, you know, you talk about Revelation six through 19, there are a few parenthetical chapters in between, but this is all about the tribulation Mm -hmm. period with a focus on Israel. What is significant about that? Can you explain why that matters for Christians to understand? Yeah, absolutely. And and honestly, I think that's another one of the things that trips people up and confuses people now, because we don't study the Old Testament that much. And so many churches have taught that the church has replaced Israel. Yeah. Now, we were grafted in. We're, we're blessed because of them. Um, but God's plan for Israel has not ceased. There are, there are a ton of unconditional promises in the Old Testament that are yet future that have never been fulfilled, that, be, that are fulfilled in the millennial kingdom and beyond. But God is not done with the people of Israel. And even in the New Testament, if you read Romans 9 through 11, it is abundantly clear God is not done with the Jewish people. They're still his chosen people. Now, one-on-one, personally, they still need to receive the Lord as their Savior to be saved. But his promises to the literal land of Israel, the literal you know, city of Jerusalem and, and the people of Israel, especially the fact that he says one day all Israel will be saved. And that's really what most of the tribulation is about, is winning them back to, Amazing. to, to himself. Amazing. So when we are talking about living in the end times, and certainly when you go back to the apostles, they also believe they were living in the end times. But it's different now. We're a lot farther down the road of history. Where would you say that we are? Nobody knows for sure when the Lord will return. It's imminent. We never know when the Lord will come back and mm-hmm. take us. But where do you think we are? When you look at some of the high points in prophecy, when we talk about the rebuilding of the temple and a lot of these things in Revelation and throughout Scripture, where are we on the timeline, would you say? Or could you even say it with any yeah. certainty where we are? I think 100% we can say because not to the day or the hour, and I'm glad you mentioned that. We should never set dates or, or anything like that. Right. We have egg on our face every time when yes. a date passes. Yes. And Scripture says no man knows the day or the hour. Amen. But every Old Testament prophet except for Jonah predicted that Israel would become a nation again in the last days. Yes. And all end times prophecy um, has, has to have Israel in their land again, in control of Jerusalem again. And then it says um, all these other sign categories will ramp up like birth pains. So in other words, the super sign is Israel becoming a nation again. That's a, that's a miracle of God. You know, only God could have pulled that off. It was. And that's a foundational necessity to any end time events to take place. So personally, I think we're, we're, I think the Lord's return is imminent. Um, like you said, believers have fought that to different degrees throughout the ages, but we have even more reason to believe that now with Israel in the land again and everything. As we study scripture, all the end time stuff, we, even the stuff with Iran and, and Russia and everything like that right now, 
all of that is screaming that we are just barreling towards the Lord's return. Oh, it would seem so. It would seem so. And and yet, I, I think people sometimes will become anxious. They'll say, well, are we going to be in an age where we have chips put on our wrists and so forth and we can't buy or sell? It's the number of the beast. How do you unpack that sort of that sort of questioning where, where Christians say, yeah. well, what what will we experience and, and what should we be looking for? Clearly, we need to be faithful to the Lord no matter what. But when we look at Revelation, how much of that will I go through as a Christian? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And I always preface the answer to that with the fact that this is a secondary issue. It's not a salvation issue. So good Christians disagree on, on the timing of some of these events. Um, but my, my personal conviction is that from cover to cover, it supports a pre-tribulational rapture. In other words, we, we, are, we will experience the rapture. We'll be taken out of here, rescued before God's day of the Lord, before the wrath falls. And, and God consistently shows that, whether it's with the flood or with Lot. I mean, it's just his character to, to rescue his people before judgment falls. Um, but again, good Christians disagree, and some of them believe that that rapture will happen at the midpoint and will go through some of the tribulation. Um, in that case, they would see the Antichrist rise to power and, and some of these other things. But that's not my conviction. I think it's clear we're out of here before then. Um, so I think what we'll experience as we approach that time is just the stage setting for it all, seeing society melt down, seeing um, people believe crazy things and starting to do crazy things, seeing uh, violence increase and wars, wars and rumors of wars. If you read, uh, you know, uh, Matthew 24, Luke right. 21, right. all of it discourse, it talks about all these birth pain signs leading up to and into the tribulation. So we'll, we'll see all of that ramping up. Honestly, I see it now. And yeah. my personal conviction, even today, I was praying this morning, I was thinking my focus needs to shift away from what I'm seeing happen in the world and into understanding what's really going on behind the scenes and knowing that the Lord's return is soon. Good. That's such a good so focus. So we should have hope, in other words. Oh, <laughs> amen. That You know, I'm yeah. so glad that you said that because who wants to live on the razor's edge of fear all the time? We, you know, our God is not a God of, of fear and, yeah. and we should trust him. That's so true. So, you know, one of the things when you talk about what's going on in the news right now, certainly in the last several years, the persecution of Christians around the world has has really ramped up. Mm-hmm. How does that fit into Bible prophecy? Uh, it, it's another stage setting event, and and it's a Matthew twenty four birth pain. It says that you will be thrown into prison, you will be persecuted, um, whole nine yards. And yeah, th- there are more Christians being persecuted and martyred now than any other time in history. And also, right along with that, anti semitism yes. worldwide is yes. on the rise. Right. Um, all of these are are end time signs. And and just to go back to kind of reinforce what I said about having hope. Uh, I, I meant to mention that, that as we see the world kind of falling apart, we need to remember that God, God's hand is still on the steering wheel. This is all part of his plan. Uh, we may have to face some touch, tough times. We may have to face persecution. And in some countries, like you said, even martyrdom. But we can still live with hope. We can still, for one thing, it gets our eyes off of the world and where it's supposed to be is on him and on eternal things. This is our, we're just passing through. I'm, I'll be 49 later this year. So I'm, I'm thinking more about how fast time goes than I ever have before. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I just want to live it all out for him and, and leave everything on the field, so to speak, because we're only here a short time. Why not Amen. live it for him and live with hope and joy? Oh, I'm so glad you say that. That's exactly how I look at it. And you're right. The older you get, the more you look at it that way. And you say, my 
home mm-hmm. is ultimately with the Lord. I'm going home. You know, Amen. this world is just, you know, we're in earthly tents right now, but one day we will be with the Lord and whether or not we're raptured or whether or not we die and then he resurrects us. Yeah. Everything points to our future hope. And this is, I mean, in essence, this is the whole point of the book of Revelation is to have, give us hope no matter where we are on the spectrum of history. Amen. If if you could distill the whole book of Revelation down into two words, it's we win. I, I mean, love it, that. It's the, it's the <laughs> most celebratory, fantastic thing. And, and it, it just blows my mind how so many believers I know shy away from studying it. It's, there's so much hope and joy. Yes, there's destruction in there, but it's God is fair. God is righteous. He's setting things straight. He's He's making everything right that's ever been wrong. And that's what it's all about. It really is. My favorite words in Revelation 22, the Lord saying, behold, I am coming quickly. Maranatha, mm. you know, he's going to come back. And it's, come, it's, Lord. It's, come Lord Jesus. It's that that is why you really need to read the book of Revelation like never before. And what a great book to have alongside as you do called the Nonprofits Guide to the Book of Revelation by Todd Hampson. Todd, it was so good to have you with us. Thank you very, very much. Likewise, it was a pleasure. All right. Take care and God bless you. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. Well, these days, identity is a big deal, you might have noticed. We have identity politics, we have the crazy invention of gender identity, but the madness points to a reality, and that's that each of us wants to know who we really are. And for us as Christians, we have the answer. Our identity is in Jesus Christ. As Colossians 3.3 reminds us, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. But what should we understand about finding a lasting and fulfilling identity in the Lord? That's what we're going to talk about today with Jonathan. Landry Cruz. He is pastor of Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and also a published hymn author. And he's out with a book we're going to be talking about called The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ. Jonathan, it's so great to have you with us today. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on the program, Jim. Well, it's nice to have you here. Why would you say this question of identity matters so much? Um, yeah, <laughs> that, that is kind of the, the million-dollar question. Why are we talking about it, and, and is it something worth talking about? And um, I, I think it is an important question, and the, the reason is because God has instilled with, within us a desire to find out who we are. Yeah. Um, so, so what we see in culture, what we see going on in the discussions in identity politics and, and things that you mentioned uh, in the introduction there, that that's that's humanity getting at kind of what they were made to to get after answering a question that God has placed within our hearts who am i and it's such an important question to get right because really it's the difference between heaven and hell 
Yeah. And it's such a difference, isn't it? When you look at people in the world who are seeking self-identification and it's all about me, me, me and digging into my own this and my own that. And I come up with Mm. my truth. It's a completely different process when you come to the Lord, for sure. I mean, can you compare and contrast a little bit how the world seeks identity versus how the Christian embraces identity? Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, the, The scriptures talk about identity and our identity uh, as as Christians, with these two words in Him or in Christ, and, and we find it replete throughout the New Testament, especially the Apostle Paul loves to use that language, and that really gets at the heart of of how Christians would answer that question. It has nothing to do with me. Who I am has nothing to do with me. It's all about what Jesus has done, what He has done for me, um, and that's the difference between the way a Christian would answer it and the way somebody in the world would answer it, who's striving, striving to to find something to offer uh, themselves, offer the world that says, look at, look at me, look at what I've done. This is what I can kind of rest upon. Um, my, my career, my family, look how wonderful my family is, my sexual um, expression, my gender expression, whatever it might be. Something that I feel like I can say, look, I, I put my, my handprints on this. I, you know, I kind of stamp myself on this. And Paul, in Galatians 2, he, he does the exact opposite. Um, he talks about how uh, I've died. It's no longer I who live. Yes. But the life I do now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul says, um, let me give a kind of an obituary to who I am. I've died. <laughs> but, but now notice who I am and what I do. It's all about Jesus Christ. That's, that's the difference and how a Christian would answer that question. It's not about me. I take the spotlight off of me, and I want to find my identity in Jesus. Yeah, you know, and this this concept of dying to yourself is so antithetical to the spirit of the world, but, you know, they don't understand Mm. when Christians talk that way. What do you mean he must increase and I must decrease, or I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who liveth in me. There is a sense in which a lot of people hear, hear that, and then they say, I don't even know what that means. How can you be dead but be alive? What did Jesus Christ do in you to transfer you from death to life? And, of course, we know, you know, his finished work on the cross and his resurrection and what he did in us spiritually. But can you talk a little bit about that spiritual transformation that we go through when we pass from death into life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when, when, we are, when, we're, when we're reborn, when we are converted, when we become Christians, we belong to another world entirely. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 5, 17, whoever's in, in Christ is a new creation. Yeah. Uh, the old has passed away, the new has come. The new, that is, Paul's talking about the new heavens, the new earth, that he's talking about the whole renewed cosmos, that kind of belongs in the Christian now by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We get, we get that newness now. And so when, when we talk about being dead in Christ, we're saying all that old stuff, the, 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 the way of sin, the way of selfishness, um, I don't belong to that. I'm not defined by that. And now I get this foretaste of, of heaven where there's there's uh, uh, life eternal where there's perfection, where there's going to be no more tears. I, I get a taste of that now by God's work in me by the Holy Spirit. And, and so we would call that, in theological terms, sanctification, right? right, right. Dying to sin, living to righteousness. It's getting a taste of that new world to come. And, you know, I tell people, when you think about that, that's what God is doing in us by His Holy Spirit. Don't you want to be a Christian? Don't you want that kind of thing? Don't you want your identity to be rooted in Christ? 
when you receive those benefits, yes. uh, it, it far excels anything that we could ever try to acquire on our own in this world. Amen. That's well said. So how does our identity in Christ tie into our union with Christ? This is a key point as well. I think of Romans eight ten, which says, if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. We have this new life in Christ, but identity and union, are those one and the same? Are they partners together? What, what do those terms really mean in the Christian life? Yeah, I, I think union with Christ lays the foundation for our for our identity, um, and so you know my my book is is structured just ten little chapters based on these uh, in him verses that I mentioned. Each of those verses, when Paul talks about what it means to be in Christ, that's union language. We are united to Him, yep. and that is what sets the foundation for our identity. For our identity, so um, Paul says. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. So what does that say about union? Because I'm united to Christ, he has taken my, my punishment for me on the cross. He's been condemned in my place, so, so I'm no longer condemned. Now take that union reality, and how, what does that mean for identity? Well, that means that my identity is, is one who is pardoned before God, one who is a forgiven child of God. And so that means we don't need to to go through this life kind of eking out some pathetic existence on death row, because no, we're not on death row anymore. We've been forgiven. And so that, that gives invigorating purpose and meaning in my life, knowing that I've been forgiven. So my union now has given me an identity. Excellent. You know, you made me think of John 15, where Jesus talks about being the vine and we're the branches. And it's only by being attached to the vine that we can do mm-hmm. anything at all. I mean, that's that's really a, a stunning image, really, when you talk about vine and branches, that we, we can't do anything apart from Jesus. It's not just that, oh, I've now subscribed to a new religion and I'm going to obey all these laws. That's, that's not Christianity at all. We are absolutely unified with the, the God of the universe. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's, I love that imagery. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, um, uh, Paul likes this kind of punchy staccato in him language. You're in Christ, you're in Jesus. But uh, John is a little bit more flowery and poetic, and he's speaking about that same doctrine. He's talking about union with Christ, but he prefers that kind of image of the vine and the branches. And, but it gives a really powerful point, which is to say there is no life at all apart from Christ. Yeah. Um, and, and so Jesus is not just kind of an, an entrance into Christianity. Um, he is, he is the Christian faith. We, we were relying upon him, uh, every waking moment and his spirit within us. So uh, a Christian's true identity cannot be divorced from, from Jesus. We, he is our identity for, as, as you mentioned, John 15 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So, yeah. so we need a we need to recover a christianity that is reliant upon jesus christ every waking moment he, you know the gospel isn't just good news to be believed to to get into the kingdom the gospel is that 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 good news that we hang on the whole way through the kingdom. It is what it is what gets us from this life to the next. Right. Yeah, it's it's such a profound truth that you're talking about here and it's hard to wrap our minds around it completely because it is so profound. But it's really, really important. And like you mentioned before, you've got all of these great chapters in your book talking about what it means to be in him. And I want to go to, into those in more detail when we come back from this break. Jonathan Landry Cruz, my guest, pastor of Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and author of The Christian's True Identity. We'll be right back on 
on Janet Mufford today. Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Well, my name is Dan Steiner, and I'm the president of Preborn. Ultrasound truly is a game changer. When a mom comes into a pregnancy center under pressure to abort her child, perhaps the dad's gone, perhaps her mother is pressuring her, most of the time in her heart she doesn't want to abort, but what she needs is something that will give her the strength to choose life against the pressures that are forcing her to consider abortion. That's the ultrasound. If she hears her baby's heartbeat and sees that baby on ultrasound, everything's different. Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It's great to have you with us and great to have with us Jonathan Landry Cruz. He's pastor of Community Presbyterian Church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and author of The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ. We were talking a little bit before the break, Jonathan, about John chapter 15, where Jesus is the vine and we are his branches. And it's interesting because in that same chapter, the Lord says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This is a chapter in your book talking about being chosen in him. What is the takeaway there for Christians to understand the significance that we did not choose him, but he chose us and why that's so astounding? Yeah, uh, my, my hope as people would, would um, not just read, read this book, but as they kind of explore the doctrine of, of election and what that means is that, that it would mean uh, for the Christian that we find our worth not in our accomplishments, the trophies on the shelf, uh, you know, the likes we get on Facebook, um, our popularity, our looks, whatever it might be. When we, when we try to do that thing, we will find ourselves very disappointed because um, that is never good enough to be chosen uh, by the world. We'll always be striving to do more, to make more friends, um, to, to, to have more accomplishments. None of those things can give us a true and lasting sense of value and worth. We can never accomplish enough, be popular enough, be attractive enough. Uh, the gospel, though, sweeps all of those poor attempts uh, to find 
you know, worth in, our, in ourselves and our own accomplishments when it tells us that the God of the universe, before the world began, set his affection on us and chose us in love. So that, that's meant to give us this, this comfort and this consolation of, wow, <laughs> I, I actually matter. Yeah. Uh, and it's not because of anything I've done. I matter because God loves me. Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, it's such it's just an amazing thing to hear again and again. He loves me. Why? Why Lord, why do you love me? But you do. It's all over your word. And we're pardoned in him. This is another point that you make that we are as you mentioned before, you know, there's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I think a lot of Christians sometimes have difficulty living with that truth. There there is a tendency I think in a lot of us to say I I messed up today and I really sinned a lot today more than I did yesterday. God must not love me anymore? Am I really, really forgiven? I, can you speak to that? Just, I'm sure as a pastor, you have people that you run into who, who struggle with the issue of forgiveness and struggle with the issue that they truly are pardoned. Oh, absolutely. And um, uh, yeah, we all will struggle with that at some point or another. And what we need to do is flee to the cross. When we look at the cross and, and understand what's going on there, that, that the full wrath of God was poured out upon his son in our place um, when we see that, that he took the curse so that we could receive his blessing, that's, that's, what we, that's where we begin to uncover what it means to be pardoned, mm-hmm. and that there is no sin so great um, or, or um, misstep so dire that could ever keep us from the love of God. And that's what Paul goes on to continue, uh, continues to go on to say in, in Romans uh, chapter 8 at the end of the chapter there, that there is nothing... In in heaven or on earth, that could ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, yes. our Lord. Yep. And so, so, you know, I I, I do certainly. Um, my heart goes out to people who perhaps have uh, struggle with assurance or have have um, doubts of their forgiveness. Um, but this is what you know that the the Christian Church has confessed for centuries in the Apostles' Creed that he descended into hell, that he took the full weight of God's wrath and judgment. He even took our hell. Um, when we look to the cross and we see that, and we see that was supposed to be me, but but here I am, yet I live. Yeah. Uh, I think that's the only thing that can ever anchor a full assurance of faith. Yeah, great. And going to Romans 8, that's fantastic. I think also your, your chapter on being pardoned in him ties into the next chapter, which is being righteous in him. Because I, I think there's still a lot of Christians who don't understand the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ and how comforting that doctrine is. I think if you're struggling with your performance as a Christian and how much you fail, there is nothing like the doctrine of the imputed righteousness of Christ to give you that comfort and that assurance. At least that's been the case for me. Do you feel the same? Yeah, uh, there's a, a famous theologian, Jay Gresson Machen. He's yes. also the founder of the denomination I serve of yes. the OPC and uh, famously sent a telegram in his uh, final moments uh, to a colleague of his at Westminster Seminary, uh, John Murray, where he said, I'm so thankful for the active obedience of Christ. Yes. Uh, there is no hope without it. Mm-hmm. And it's the, 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 his last words before he died. So that's what he's thinking about moments before he's about to, to um, uh, pass from this world into the next. That's, that's the moment we all need assurance, right? It is. <laughs> it's what happens next when I, clo- you know, when I kind of shed this mortal coil and I, and I close my eyes on this world. And uh, Machen found his assurance in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, which means that Christ not only died uh, for our pardon or for our forgiveness, 
but he also lived for our righteousness. And I, I discuss in the book, Janet, about how um, forgiveness doesn't get us into heaven. That's right. not good enough. Right. Um, a pardon just keeps us out of hell. Hmm. But we still need that righteousness, that holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And that is also given to us through the, the life, death, resurrection, the, the work of Jesus Christ and his person. And so how does that, how does that inform my identity? It means that I already am, am or I already have that standing before God. I don't need to face that final judgment. And I'm not living in fear trying to um, present enough good works and obedience to the Lord. Is this enough to get me in? Uh, we already have been given that evaluation, and we're found when we are found in the Son, we have done all that is necessary to stand before the presence of God. And the pressure is off. When you, when you go through all of those truths that Christ wiped away our debt through his shed blood and, and paid for our sin on the cross, but then was raised to life for our justification and imputed to us his righteousness by faith, all of those things are a gift. All of those things, mm-hmm. even the faith that we have that connects us to Jesus Christ, yeah. we go back to what the Word of God says, that faith is a gift. So everything yeah. that we yeah, everything that we have is from Him. It's so funny how we tend to think that, well, there's some portion of this that has to be my doing. Right. It's the difference between doing and done. It's the difference between religiosity and Christianity. Good. And so, you know, if we find our identity in Christ, then that means we find our identity in what has already been done. And as you said, that does take the pressure off. <laughs> and it actually is the only thing that can ever lay the foundation for good works. Yes. True, you know, yeah. true obedience, heartfelt obedience, because now we know we're doing it out of gratitude, not in order to try to put God in our debt and try to, you know, win something from him. That's so great. Can you talk about the chapter a little bit that you talk about security, our security in him? Again, this does tie back into the issue of assurance a little bit, but to what extent are we secure in Christ? There are those who will say, oh, you know, could I lose my salvation? Could I do something so bad that I could never find my way back to the Lord? How do you comfort people in that regard? Yeah, well, in the chapter, I, I, talk about the the three major threats um, uh, that the Christian faces. It's sometimes called the dark trinity, the unholy trinity, the world, the flesh, and the devil. (laughs) And uh, when we find ourselves in Christ, we are secure from all of these things. Um, uh, Our union with Christ is is indestructible. There's there's no power, uh, not even the powers of hell and, and, and the power of Satan can can pull us away from being in Christ and having an identity that is rooted in him. And so uh, there, there's a sense that there's an assurance that there's no uh, force, there's no, there's no army that can come and, and pluck me from God's grip. But as you mentioned, even our own sin, even our own flesh, um, when we find ourselves in Christ, we recognize that our sin is not what defines us anymore. Uh, if our sin is what defined us, then yes, we would have reason to doubt, reason to be afraid. Um, but when we're in Christ, our sin doesn't define us, but rather the Son defines us, Jesus Christ, as yes. we've been saying. Yes. And uh, His, his we, you know, we call this sometimes secu- being secure in Him. We're, we're talking about the preservation of the saints, um, or sometimes called the perseverance of the saints. Mm-hmm. And the only reason we can persevere in our faith is because we are preserved everlastingly by the Son. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he talks about, you know, in John, Jesus says how uh, all that the Father has given me it, in no way shall ever be uh, cast away from me. And, and 
uh, those that Christ holds on to, um, he holds on to with a grip that can never be loosened. Isn't that good news? That's <laughs> wonderful. It's the best news and, and such a, a wonderful book. If you really struggle with this issue of your identity in Jesus Christ, what a good resource to use to get back on track. It's called The Christian's True Identity, What It Means to Be in Christ by Pastor Jonathan Landry Cruz, who has been joining us today. And such a delight to have you, Jonathan. Thank you so much. Enjoyed your book and really enjoyed having you with us today. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, too. God bless you. We have to leave it there. Thank you so much for being with us here on Janet Mafford today. It's always a delight to have you with us. We really do appreciate your listening. We'll see you next time. God bless.